0: During World War II, during World War II, six pilots took off from an aircraft carrier in the North Atlantic to scout some enemy submarines, and while they were gone out on this scout mission to look for Nazi submarines, the captain of the carrier that they took off from was forced to issue a blackout alarm. And so the ship that they took off from went totally dark. When the pilots tried to return, they could not find the ship. They radioed, Give us some light. We're coming in. We're coming home. The ship's operator replied, Order blackout. I cannot give you light. In turn, each pilot desperately radioed the same message, give us some light and we'll make it. We need light. And each time the operator on the carrier radioed back, no light, blackout. And because there was no light on that ship, those six pilots didn't make it back to the carrier but crashed in the icy North Atlantic. You know, we live uh, not just this year, but our world, we live in dark times. Uh, There are those that falsely, I think, have probably uh, maybe optimistically hoped that our uh, world is getting better and better, but I don't think it takes too long to watch any part of the news to realize that that is not the case. But especially in these uncertain times, there seems to be a haze of uncertainty and and darkness, if you will. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And this morning we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 2. And as I said, these three weeks we are going to do, if you want to call it, a mini-series called Rediscover Christmas, Good News and Troubling Times, this Sunday, next Sunday, and on Christmas Eve. And don't forget our Christmas Eve Worship time, 5 p.m. on December 24th, Thursday night. And that has become a, a, a wonderfully attended service. And a lot of you uh, bring friends and family to that and uh, encourage you to do that. Rediscovering Christmas means remembering what, uh, what this season is that we, we celebrate. Christmas is about Christ. Now, now that may seem obvious to you, but it sometimes gets muddled in all the stuff that floods at us this time of year, any year, but especially uh, this year, that sometimes we forget, oh yeah, this is the season we celebrate Jesus, that we remember Jesus' birth, that we celebrate his birth. And there's a uh, passage in the familiar story of Jesus' birth that Luke tells us, and I want us to pick up and read it in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 22, and this will be on the screen for your convenience. I do hope that you also brought some way that you can engage in Scripture with your own Bible on book, tablet, however you use it. And the Scripture reads, and when the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, the first one, the first male born. Verse 24, and to offer, they came up to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of Moses. The Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. By the way, those were sacrifices that poor people brought. Now, when there, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Just to give you a little quick context here, if you're unfamiliar, is that soon after Jesus was 40 days old, his parents brought him Into the temple in Jerusalem, and according as it said to the law of Moses, uh, to offer an appropriate sacrifice for him in the temple for the firstborn male. Uh, Now, most people I'm sure that were coming in during this time uh, didn't necessarily stand out, and certainly this couple, who as I said, you get some indicator by the sacrifice they brought was a sacrifice that a poor person could afford to bring, and there was nothing necessarily that made them stand out. But I love the fact that there was one old guy, one old man, Simeon, who saw this couple, but more specifically, saw this child, and he lit up. Here he is, this old man, seeing The true light, the Bible tells us, the true light and the true hope centered in this child, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Simeon didn't, to our knowledge, and I don't think there's anything that would indicate that he possessed any unusual powers of genius or or discernment or perception, but verse 26 says that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed this to him. And this is how he recognized, in verse 27, he came in the, by the Spirit into the temple. And I love it. At just the right moment, at just the right time, at just the right nanosecond, that he would see this couple, but see this child. And I don't know if the Holy Spirit said it like this, but Simeon, that's him. There he is. There's the one. You know, Simeon, if he was relying on his natural intellect and his natural abilities, would have missed it. But don't miss the fact that it says that the Holy Spirit revealed this to him. You know, in the natural, if he was expecting, and and we'll see that Simeon was anticipating this king that would be born that the Old Testament uh, prophesied, foresaw, uh, he was a king, we know, that arrived much differently than human expectation. I mean, a poor couple bringing in a baby, uh, and if you were expecting a king, you'd certainly expect to see the religious leaders walking in step and there would be a processional and a parade, but there was none of that. When he saw the couple enter and he saw the child Jesus, there was no halo over the baby Jesus. There was no glow over the baby Jesus, but the Holy Spirit revealed this to this old man and so the title this morning as we help us remember, rediscover Christmas, is the remind ourselves of the hope of Christmas. Jesus Christ is the hope, not just for this season, but he is the hope for all times and all seasons. and what does it mean when we talk about hope in Christ? What does it mean to hope? in Christ. Simeon certainly understood, I believe, as a devout Jew, he certainly understood that God was clear in the Old Testament writings and the law and the prophets of a one that would come that was promised that would be the Messiah or the Greek Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, FYI, okay? It is the Greek version title of the Jewish title, Messiah, Christos. Uh, And so, as he was anticipating this, there was a hope that when he saw this child, the hope uh, that flooded this old saint of thousands of years of anticipation, he experienced the hope of Christ. And I think that's a good place for us to remember, rediscover, remind ourselves about Christ of Christmas. Rediscover that our hope as believers, our hope is in Jesus Christ. I want you to consider this morning three main observations in this passage to help us kind of unpack this a little bit. Notice firstly that the Christian hope, number one, the Christian hope is accepting that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. That has historically been consistent of the Christian message throughout the beginning. Yeah, there's been side players that have wanted to do something differently, but it certainly is out of the mainstream of historic Christianity. The Christian hope, the Christian hope is accepting that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. You remember Jesus asked a question of his disciples in Matthew 16. Remember, he had them around, and he asked them, who do men say that I am? What's the word on the streets? And they all kind of chimed in. But Jesus put it to them this way in verse 15. He said, but who do you say that I am? That's a question we're all confronted with, aren't we? What's your personal evaluation of Jesus? You remember C.S. Lewis, and I believe in Mere Christianity, said there's, really three, uh, there's only three conclusions. You either determine that Jesus is a liar, just a liar. And there's certainly been a lot of liars that claim to be sent from God, right? Or he's a lunatic, There's mental, insane asylums that are full of would-be messiahs. In fact, I remember the, I shouldn't even say this, but the college I went to, I remember there was this weird guy on our hall, and later found out he had some mental challenges, but uh, he lasted about two months, but he just, he liked to walk around in his robe, and he had a, you know, and and he reached the point where he believed that he was Jesus, and uh Finally, one day I said, well, what are you doing in Bible college? (laughs) Everything hangs on how you answer that question. But if Jesus is not a liar, a lunatic, then the conclusion is he is who he said he was and he is Lord, and you evaluate that. Peter, remember, gave the correct answer. And, of course, I still think in King James. When I look up a verse, I still have to look it up in a king because that's just the way my, I was raised. I don't use it much anymore. But he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus immediately recognized that Simon didn't figure that out on his own. Remember what he said, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, bar because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father has revealed, my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And here's the point, is that for any of us to come to this acceptance that Jesus Christ is not just the only way of salvation, but is the only way for my salvation, the only way we come to that acceptance is if the Father reveals that to us. There is a work of the Spirit that precedes my faith and trust in Christ. I think that's the whole point of what Jesus and John the Apostle tells us in John chapter 3, that chapter of Nicodemus coming at night, and you must be born again. Remember in verse 3, Jesus said that unless you are born again, that means that there is a transformation that just as though it was impossible for you to have anything to do with your natural birth, so it is equally true and impossible for you to have anything to do with your spiritual birth. It is a miracle that only God can do. And Jesus said in John 3, 3, that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How can you accept something that you can't see? And he's talking about a spiritual work of the Spirit. Simeon in verse 25, it says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and he was righteous and devout. And it says that he was waiting, and I love this, for the consolation of Israel. That's a term that is drawn from Isaiah, I believe around Isaiah 40, but that 700 years before Simeon ever experienced this, that refers to the coming of Messiah. He had settled the issue of whom Messiah was to be a long time ago. And so when the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that this baby in Mary's arms was the Lord's Christ, there was great joy. And notice just as we round this out of, of how God uniquely prepared Christ. We have a few th- observations in this passage. God, and these aren't points per se, but I'll just re- show you the verses, that God prepared Christ, the Bible says in verse 31 and 32, as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. Now, we know that the, the Messiah was the promised Messiah of Israel, but he was not exclusively just for Israel. They, again, going back to John 3, a passage that if you've ever watched a football game, you know the reference of John 316, right? Remember that guy with the rainbow wig, and remember those guys? I think they finally got it rid of him or something. I don't know. But but what does it say? For God so loved the world. Now that doesn't mean everybody in the world is gonna experience salvation. That's a falsehood that is inconsistent with what Christianity is. But that it means that for God so loved the world, meaning there was not just the ethnic Israel, but whether they were Jews or Gentiles, and that really is the way the Bible separates the two. You're either child of the covenant or you're not, Jews and Gentiles. In other words, regardless of your ethnicity or heritage, that this salvation in Christ is available to you. He's not just a tribal deity of the Jews But it says that God prepared him. Look at verse 31. It says that you, Simeon says, God speaking to the Lord, you have prepared. God prepared salvation. Salvation, our salvation, our election was God's idea. Isn't that great? It was God's idea because if it was left up to us, we would have never found ourselves stumbling in the dark to find the light. God had to open that light. God prepared this, and he prepared it. Notice verse 32, a light for revelation to reveal, not the book of Revelation, a light for revealing this to the Gentiles, but also for the glory to your people Israel. Jesus was the anticipated king. Israel had even their best king, even the best king, And we'll say what? David, right? Was a failure, right? But he said there would be one who would be the son of David, who would be anything but a failure, and this king would come in the full righteousness of God. So God prepared Christ as a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory and glory for the people of Israel. But also in rediscovering this Christmas story, we're reminded that God prepared Christ to bring judgment on all that opposed Him. Now, you know, that's part of sometimes discovering the Christmas story that may surprise you. But right here, it gives us a little indication here, and sometimes rediscovering the truth about Christmas is rediscovering or discovering the whole picture of what Jesus' coming was all about. Notice verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising. You ought to underline fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A first hint right there. A first hint. That Jesus' coming would not be good news for everybody. That Jesus' first coming would not bring salvation and peace to everyone. It says that he was appointed. God the Father predestined, appointed, predetermined from all eternity, read John 1, that Jesus Christ would come not just to live a moral life, an ethical life, to be a great teacher. Nobody is bothered with a little baby in a a manger. That doesn't upset people. But Jesus Christ was prepared and appointed by God the Father to go to the cross to be the sin-bearer for many. Jesus Christ baby in a manger, was born to die. There's a lot of sentimentality around Christmas. But there is also great truth that our eternity hangs on. And and in in this little statement of Simeon, notice he says, "...a sign to be opposed." Now, how would you like some old guy that you're you're bringing your baby to church and some old guy says, and this child's going to grow and there's going to be people that oppose him? And he says something even more severe a little bit later to Mary, that many would oppose and reject him. Of course, we know John 1 that says that he came to his own and his own people. They didn't receive him. They didn't accept him. I think it reminds us that you cannot be neutral about Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty, If you are not for me, you're against me. Who do you say that I am? But also notice in verse 35, that God prepared and appointed this Christ that salvation would be through his death. And you just get a little little indicator in a parenthetical statement in verse 35. And Simeon says to his mother, Moms, would you really... You'd be like, I'm not coming back to that church. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they gave us a mug and a candy and that kind of... You know, they had nice cappuccino. But do you see that old guy handing out bulletins, what he said about my baby? Huh? Listen to what he says. To Mary. And a sword... But notice... He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul. He's saying that to mom. And get this passion of the Christ nonsense out of your head from the movie. Because some of that, you know, where she's out mopping his blood and all that, you realize that is not biblical. That comes from Catholic legend, okay? She was fully aware, even from the beginning, we know, that he will be a son, he will be a child who will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1. Joseph understood that You shall call him Jesus, and he will, say he will save his people from their sins. But he says to Mary, Mom, a sword is going to pierce through your own soul that gives us an indication of the anguish that Mary felt. This was not, she was not, some supercharged spiritual woman her child was murdered she witnessed that and Simeon through the holy spirit is speaking prophetic truth here jesus said who do men say that i am and of course right after peter's confession do you remember what happened In Matthew 16, 21, the Bible says that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He wasn't somebody that went to Jerusalem and things just got out of hand. There was an intentionality from all eternity that he would be sent to be the sin bearer of all that the Father had given to him. You say, Do you understand that? Not totally, but I understand what Jesus did. And I understand that I'm saved by grace and not my own smarts. And God, if God had not loved me first, I would have never loved him. I was blind, but now I see. You figure it out. Isn't that what the old blind guy said to the Pharisees? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake He, God, made Him to be sin who knew no sin, the perfect, spotless, clean Lamb of God, so that in Him that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice the second observation in our hope in Christ. Secondly, the Christian hope is anchored by personal trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. You might, you might believe in the theological tenets of Christianity, but it only becomes anchored to your life when you personally trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. It's not just an automatic. I mean, Simeon exercise faith. Trust in Jesus Christ. Now, Simeon already trusted in God's Messiah as his salvation, I believe, before he saw the baby Jesus, and that's true of the Old Testament saints. You remember, you know, the Old Testament saints, they looked forward in anticipation to God's atoning work in Messiah who was to come. By faith, they looked forward in faith. By faith, we look backward in faith to the finished work of the cross. God has had one plan of salvation, and that's been through faith and grace in Jesus Christ alone. Are we benefited with great more content with the benefits of the New Testament books And the revelation that God has given us in this day and time? Absolutely. But what they understood in the simplicity of believing that God would bring forth a king someday, even like in Jeremiah, that we're going to finish up this Wednesday. And some of you have been playing hooky. You need to come at least this Wednesday because we're going to talk about the new covenant in Jeremiah. That's a great thing. And in the midst of their judgment of Israel, God has this hope. For Israel, that there's coming a day of restoration in which Messiah will restore his people and rule and reign. Even in the midst of darkness, God provides hope. And it won't be recorded, so nah, you can't can't get it on tape. But you ought to come. In verse 30... Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. His eyes have seen your salvation. That in Christ, by faith, remember, there was nothing extraordinary about Mary. There was nothing extraordinary about Joseph. You know, as I said, there was nothing, you know, mystical or spooky around the baby Jesus. There weren't angels singing. You know, it was just this poor couple with this baby. And yet, Simeon saw his salvation and the salvation of Israel. It was more than just admiring a baby. A lot of people, as I said, they can admire a baby. Right? I mean, we love babies. Nobody's threatened by a baby. (laughs) But it's not admiring a baby. It's not getting warm, fuzzy feelings, drinking hot chocolate, watching It's a Wonderful Life, and think, oh. It is is in the hope that, like, Simeon put his trust, and I realize we're probably putting more into old Simeon, but what he knew, he exercised in faith. You may not know all the gamuts of what is taught in this book, but at least, I think, if you've been exposed in this church or even in general Christianity, and at least you're hearing it now, if maybe for the first time, that your hope is in Christ and Him alone. And this hope is the one that 700 years before He was ever born, the prophet Isaiah would prophesy and write in Isaiah 53 about that this Messiah, would be sent to the cross prepared by God when God in Isaiah 53 says, Surely He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God. Don't miss that. Smitten, struck by God for our transgressions. Isaiah 53, 5. He was crushed, for our iniquities. And upon him, the baby, the child, the man, was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. The greatest healing and the promise that that speaks of is the healing of the greatest disease that we have, and that is sin. All we are like sheep who have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. 700 years before this experience that we see in the temple, Isaiah, and I'm sure Simeon, was well acquainted with that word. But there's a third aspect of our hope in Christ And third, I want you to notice that the Christian hope is authenticated by living our life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get excited because this is a long point. You think, oh, he's on number three. We can hit Cracker Barrel early. We'll We'll beat the Episcopalians by 30 minutes, right? The Christian hope is authenticated. Isn't that what we're talking about in 1 John about assurance. Remember first John is talking about how we can know without a doubt that we belong to God, that we're followers of God and, and so the Christian hope is authenticated. It's we gain assurance, we can we can understand that in how that this genuineness is being lived out that if I am that with what I profess, I possess, right? That I walk my talk. And we're going to see that. Some characteristics with Simeon that I believe are wonderful reminders, templates maybe, to consider as we look and authenticate, am I genuinely walking and living for Christ? Have I bought into some erroneous idea that Jesus is my Savior, but the Lordship, I'm kind of put that on hold. Lordship just means that I live and walk under His authority. It isn't just, well, I got my ticket punched, I'm not going to hell, but now I can go back to doing whatever I want to do and live however I want to live. To walk in the Lordship of Christ means that the genuine conversion of a person has actually taken hold. Remember, Jesus even gave an illustration of a tree. He said, you will know a tree by its fruit. You may not see the root, but you can see the the fruit. Notice some of these qualities. They may not be immediately evident. Doesn't mean they happen the next morning. You know, you became a follower of Jesus. But the Christian, that these are evidences that should be authenticate they authenticate genuine conversion they should be evidenced in your life at some point in time that you know and you have known people like this too that where you've known people who said i've been a christian for 20 30 40 years and their life has never changed now i'm not i'm not i don't know if they're a christian or not they could just be an immature believer and they've just never grown i mean that is a possibility but the 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 weight of the description of a person who is a follower of jesus is that their life demonstrates a here we go transformation not just rearranging the furniture on the titanic but a literal transformation That I, 2 Corinthians 5.17, I am a new creation, literally a new species of being. I am a totally new person. Look at some of these qualities that we see in Simeon. We'll go through these sort of quick. But you know that's not true. Number one, if you recognize how are these qualities, how do we see them authenticated? Number one, if you recognize and trust Christ as God's salvation, you will seek to live a righteous and devout life. Where do we see that? Look at verse 25. It says, This man who was in Jerusalem by the name of Simeon, this man was righteous and devout. Righteous means that, he was, that his behavior was righteous. It was right in the sight of God and towards his fellow men. He was the same guy. In public as he is in private, he didn't have a church. He didn't put on his church face to come to church. He was the same guy. There was a righteousness about him, and he was devout. That means that there was an intentionality, there was a carefulness, there there was a deliberateness that he walked with God. Some folks are just haphazard. If they pray, they read their Bible, they whatever, it's just kind of hit or miss. And they wonder why they have struggles in growing and knowing God. There was an intentionality with old Simeon. Secondly, this is authenticated in your life of a, being a genuine believer. If you recognize and trust Christ as God's salvation, you live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In verse 25 and 27, I found this interesting, is that three times we see the Holy Spirit mentioned. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And by the way, pre-Pentecost, Acts 2, that was an apt description of the way the Holy Spirit worked in believers pre-Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came upon them, okay, Old Testament saints that walked in the Holy Spirit came upon them. Acts two, the promise that the Holy Spirit was now poured upon all those who believe and their followers of Christ. But we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse twenty-six, that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, and he came in this temple by the Spirit. So that was the apt description before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But because we live post-Acts 2, we're on the other side of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All that trust Christ as Savior possess the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a background where I would, sometimes you'd run into people and say, I've been tearing for years for the Holy Spirit. That's just bad theology. That's bad teaching. That's bad churches. You don't have to tarry. You don't have to beg. If you believe in Christ, you can't see the light unless you are regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have not the Holy Spirit in your life, and the walking and the power and the there's a growing there, and we see that in Galatians five. Remember that's what Paul the apostle said in Galatians five sixteen. He talks about, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse twenty five. I love the way it says, if we live by the Spirit. Notice it says condition. If we live by the Spirit, let us. Also, keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means you're not trying to get ahead of the Spirit. You're not lagging. You're just, and I'm just using that figuratively, you're just keeping in step. That implies a day by day, moment by moment, walking with Christ, walking in the Spirit. That's not some weird mystical concept. It's not some weird thing. It isn't just for some people that have this kind of elitist kind of mentality that they are walking in the Spirit. And there's kind of this Ooh, weird thing about them. Some of you have been in church long enough. You know, listen, I have pastored too long sometimes, right? They need, to, they need to haul me off every once in a while. I met a lot of weird people. There's nothing weird about it. Listen, you remember what? This is free. John 16. Remember when Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit, about the helper who would come, the one that comes alongside? And remember one of the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit? It says that he will speak of what I speak. In other words, he points and directs people to Jesus. He's there to point people to Christ, to magnify Christ. So if walking in the Spirit... If the Spirit is pointing us to Jesus, and we know and walk and understand Jesus by the Spirit-breathed words, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, then walking and keeping in step with the Spirit is just walking and living like Jesus in our life. It's not floating three feet off the ground and having kind of a mystical air about you. All right. Had to get that off my chest. Number three. Authenticated. If you recognized and trust Christ as God's salvation, you view yourself as God's servant. Look at verse 29. How did Simeon see himself? Did he go out and start a campaign ministry because of this revelation he had? He said, Lord, just the humility there. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant, your doulos in the Greek. Servant's a nice word. We're not offended by servant, are we? That doesn't bother us. But it's not literally what doulos means. Servants like Butler, isn't it? Mr. French, you know, family affair, right? You know, right? Doulos, you know what doulos means? And, and you know what? Our, our culture naturally understands why... Bible interpreters are are resistant, but it literally means slave. I love that if you have the NIV, Simeon, verse 29, says, Sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means, speaks of absolute ownership, uncontrolled power, lordship. He says, I'm just a servant. Number four, this authentication of my hope in Christ. Fourthly, if you recognize and trust Christ, if you recognize and trust Christ as God's salvation, you have insight into spiritual truth. And we've kind of alluded to this of the role of the Holy Spirit in Simeon. It was through the work of the Spirit that Simeon understood more than the religious leaders of his day. He knew that this child that he held in his arms was the promised Messiah. He knew that not all would welcome him. He knew that this this baby would one day die a tragic death to the point that he told, Mom, it'll be like a sword piercing your very soul. He knew that God's Messiah was given as a light for all sinful peoples of all nations. Fifth, if you recognize and trust Christ as God's salvation, like Simeon, you bless God for sending Jesus to the earth. You know, the Christian always, 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 always has one testimony. Sometimes, you know, we'll have time where we share testimonies, and I gotta call some of you to prep you, because you know, I just you know me, I get impatient with silence. Right? Just oh, just please, just beg, give a testimony. Man, the Christians should be fighting for the microphone. To say, let me tell you what God has done to me. Let me tell you where I was when God found me. You see, Simeon blessed God. He said, verse 28, that he took him in his arms, and what did he do? He blessed God. God, you kept your promise. Six, if you recognize and trust Christ as God's salvation, you're satisfied with Jesus alone. Isn't that the great challenge of life? Is there, there's so many comp- competitors that seek to give us a false satisfaction, and yet it's through Christ alone that are, we are satisfied. You see, Simeon, when he held Jesus in his arms, he was holding God's Savior. It satisfied his soul. You see that in the whole tenor of what he said. It satisfied his soul. It accomplished his one aim in life. God, that you let me live long enough to see the consolation of Israel. Psalm 73, 25. The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. God, help me to be more satisfied the older I get. One of the saddest things is to be around people, especially seniors. They're just mad and bitter. Just mad and bitter. Mad at somebody. You know, the glass is half empty and they're mad at somebody for drinking the other half. Right? Just mad. Bitter. I have a hymn that we're going to christen as a new Christmas hymn. And the hymn is my hope. Remember, listen to the words. That little hand signal was for you, Sherry, to me doing that finger. Just trying not to be obvious. She's over there texting somebody. I don't know. I was trying to be subtle, you know, do that. You know, you teach you that, and pastoral, you know, yeah, stop, okay. <laughs> my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name on Christ. The solid rock I stand, all other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. Just, I don't know if we'll sing these, but let me just read you the second and third. When darkness veils his lovely face, that's when I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high, And stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, that means His promises, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then, when then? It's when my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. Let's stand to our feet. Which ones are we going to sing? The first one. The first one in the chorus. Or the refrain. Okay. Let's sing it. My hope is built on nothing less.
1: My hope is built on nothing less.